Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Freelancing is a very misunderstood phenomenon. To some, it's a dreaded gig economy. Those are forced to work on contracts or drive ride shares because they can't find anything else. They can't find what's really a holy grail to a lot of people, the full-time job. To others, though, it represents something different. It represents freedom, the ability to have some control over their professional lives, maybe even to earn more money while they're doing it. Now, I'm not going to argue that there's not a lot of the first going on out there, that a lot of people are getting forced into freelancing. That's a whole other discussion, maybe. But I also want to talk about the fact that freelancing as a choice is growing and becoming an economic force. And certainly that was true before the pandemic started even. You know, in the U.S., and that's where we have the best statistics from, although I think we can apply this to other economies, according to a survey from the platform Upwork.com, as of 2019, there was many freelancers who saw being freelance as a long-term choice as there were those who saw it as temporary. By their count, 35% of working adults in the U.S. freelanced in some way during that year, possibly as a way to augment income, possibly full-time. Now, of course, though, that's all ancient history. A lot has changed. That was when the unemployment rate in Canada and the U.S. was at a generational low. And we know that's not the case anymore. So there's different things going on now than then. At that time, maybe people were choosing to freelance. Now, maybe a lot have lost jobs and they're having this this decision thrust upon them because we know the unemployment rate in both of these countries, double digits growing. And we can say the same for many, many countries around the globe. So if you are forced into freelancing or if you're choosing it, what are the things to consider? What has changed over the last year? Is this something that's going to grow from here or jobs on these platforms going to dry up? Well, to explore that, I have two really interesting guests today and they have different vantage points, different sides of things, and they, they give their own perspectives. First, we're going to talk with Sarah Tang. Now, she's Vice President Enterprise with Freelancer.com. You may know them as a platform. They're actually the world's largest freelance site. And she tells us what she's seeing from her big picture view of things and how she thinks the pandemic is going to shake up the world of freelancing. After that, we're joined by Danny Margulies, and he is simply a freelancer. He's been out on his own for eight years, and the pandemic is absolutely not slowing him down. So with lots of great insights ahead, please stay with us. Well, freelancing, gig work, the Hollywood model, they were all on the rise before the pandemic started. Platforms were really part of that story. They brought people together. Now, with the pandemic changing really everything, what's changing in terms of the trend to freelance? Sarah Tang is Vice President Enterprise at Freelancer.com. They're the world's largest crowdsourcing and freelancing marketplace. And she joins us now from Sydney, Australia, to talk about the trends. Hi, Sarah. Hey there, Linda. Great to meet you. Great to meet you, too. Let's go back to the world before the pandemic. Let's talk about what was going on with freelancing from your vantage point. Sure. Well, there certainly was a changing landscape of the labor market, education, and definitely increased expectations for businesses to grow faster than ever before. Um, and we, we saw the first wave in, in 2008 with the rise of the cloud economy, where the likes of Amazon AWS 
um, you know, came out with the cloud and suddenly companies could scale their infrastructure and applications faster and on demand. Because now 10 years later, we're talking about the crowd economy. And so we've really seen a surge of interest, particularly from Fortune 500 companies um, who are coming to us and saying, you know, how do we actually scale our organizations faster and on demand in this sort of elastic work model? And I think a lot of this has actually been driven by the trend for businesses to have just this increasingly expectation for growth um, that, you know, they've never experienced before. On one hand, companies face these sort of skills squeeze um, where they're expected to go faster and innovate faster and get the products to market faster, all the while being, beating their competition. Um, you know, and it's on the other hand, there's there's, um, you know, there's gap between um, upscaling quick enough and the transition into the workplace. So what's the difference between hiring someone in a traditional way and going through someone like you and saying, look, let's find talent? Yes, I think that the main um, aspect is the, the flexibility and the agility and the elastic workforce. Um, so what we do is we connect, you know, Fortune 500s, the Fortune 1000s, as well as SMBs to ideas and talents that can make them thrive in a world of flux. Um, so, you know, with technology advancing rapidly, companies need to look beyond their offices to build this elastic workforce to meet these changing demands. And so we really, the platform model is really enables them to accelerate the matchmaking, remove intermediary and search costs, and turn talent into a real strategic advantage for our clients um, in terms of their top line KPIs. So NASA, Harvard, Deloitte, Airbus, are just a handful of the, the world's largest and smartest companies who have come to us. And they can get talent for as long or as little time as they'd like, basically. That's right. And so I think the future of, of growth for a lot of these companies really lie in the ability to tap into the best ideas and, and talent anywhere in the world. And I always say that talent is evenly distributed, but you know, opportunity is not. And so on the flip side for the talent on our platform, there's some incredible people. You know, we've actually had a freelancer out in Ukraine who built um, you know, something for NASA, and he always wanted to be an astronaut growing up, but he never got the chance to go into NASA's recruiting pipeline nor for Harvard or Deloitte for that matter. But now he can work with some of the world's best companies, um, you know, with, within a few months. And so it really enables dreams to come true for, for the freelancers working on our platform, but, you know, really accelerates the growth and the business for, for the companies on our platform, both large and small. So now we have this pandemic and changes everything. Everyone is working from home. Not everyone, but a lot of people who we would not have expected to be able to do that are. Companies are changing a lot of things. They're changing expectations. How does that change things for you in terms of the talent they want and need and you know, the whole model? You know, it's really interesting times, isn't it? The world has changed so much in the last three months that anybody could have ever imagined. Um, you know, it's on one hand, it's, it's you know, it takes a lot of adaptation for us to, to um, you know, adapt to, to these sort of changing times. But on, on the business side of things, I think it really is shifting the mindset from innovation to preservation in the short term. And so for a lot of our large scale clients, they have initially been um, you know, full steam ahead in creating a workforce transformation freelancing model. But when the pandemic hit, they've actually really started to think about um, you know, how do they keep their existing employees on payroll? How do they make sure they not furlough anybody? 
Um, so part of this this um, tactic was they started offering remote work. And you can see the, the biggest companies in the world like Twitter and Slack and Facebook have really started this trend. Um, but on the other hand, it's actually also opened up their minds, um, you know, to how important it is to build an elastic workforce that can adapt to the rapidly changing times and, and needs of businesses and, and the, our world going forward. Um, so we've actually seen on a boom in activity on our platform in about a 50% in increase in new users from about 20,000 per day to 30 to 35,000 per day. And that's for both the job posters and the freelancer side. And the overall economic activity on our platform is up actually about 36%. Well, that's amazing. Is there one part of the world where you're seeing this demand coming from? Well, um, certainly in areas where the pandemic is hardest hit, you know, areas like the U.S. and Italy. And, you know, we can actually start to map out some of that activity on our platform. Um, you know, what we're really trying, what we're really creating with this sort of platform model and, and freelancing model is is economic hope and prosperity and, you know, creating economic opportunity and social and upward economic um, mobility. And so the, the, the fact that we've seen a stream of you know, freelancers who have you know, lost you know, full-time people who have lost jobs and all of a sudden started um, you know, conducting their work on our platform, just to give that boost of, of economic income has, has been amazing. And, and you know, we love sharing those stories. Well, tell us a little bit about that, because I do think there are two kinds of freelancers. One of the ones who want to be freelancers and have set this up and really enjoy doing this. And the others have kind of been forced into it. They're not sure about it. And with the pandemic, obviously, we have a lot of the second kind. How are they adjusting? No, that's a, that's a good question. I think it's really all about choice um, at the end of the day. I'll share a really nice story, actually. One of our freelancers in Greece um, you know, he had lost his job a few years ago and he had really come onto our platform as a way of, you know, getting more flexible work and starting to work on the things that he loves to do. He was working in, um, you know, design in the agency before. He didn't quite like the environment and he wanted to do and you know, work with different clients and control his own hours and set his own rates. And so I spoke to him a few months ago and I said, you know, just out of curiosity, how much of your time are you spent, um, you know, upskilling on the platform? And and he said that he spends about 60% of his time, um, you know, on, on just learning new skills around design and upscaling. And I'm saying, you know, how do you have that much time? I don't have an extra 60% of my time of my week <laughs> to spend studying. I, I wish I could do that full time. Um, and he actually said, well, I make about six times as much on your platform as I do offline in my full time job. Uh, so it really is is a place where it offers opportunity for the best talent, and you know we've uh, seen some research study, some recent studies that have shown that companies spend less than about 13 percent of their revenue on upskilling and training. And in this ever changing world, we need to find more flexible models for both upskilling and um, but for companies to grow faster. And how do you bridge that gap, right? And and that is really offering you know, uh, more of a project-based model where, you know, actually we're, we're talking through some um, some education platforms like Coursera and Udacity of the likes. And they're really also interested in a similar problem where they're talking about how do you bridge that gap from learners who would get a Coursera Udacity certification to actually getting work afterwards. There's this gap between full-time employment and, you know, and learners, right? How hard was it for you to get your first-time job, full-time job right after university? 
I know it was really scary for me when I first got out of school um, and I had three degrees, but I just didn't really know where to look. So, so for, for these learners out of Udacity and Coursera, they're also thinking about, you know, is there a way that, you know, we can bridge that gap by giving more projects-based work immediately after someone gets a certification or graduates? And so, for example, if you get tested in the scale PHP for a $100 project, and then you get a really good review because this entire network is transparent. You get a 4.6 review. It says your communication is 9 out of 10 and whatnot. Then, you know, you, you get that um, clout on, on, on the platform and you get the reputation review. You also get the boost of income. Then you continue to, to do harder work and tasks over time as you, as you gain more skills. It's interesting you say that. It is really a ratings-driven world right now. Is that really displacing those three degrees? I mean, you can have the three degrees. If you don't have great ratings, nobody wants to hire you. I think it's really not about displacement. I think is is creating transparency for um, people to be evaluated based on, really based on their skill sets and based on how well they can actually do the work. Um so, you know, the, the more that you can prove through a uh, proof of work on the platform, then the better reviews that, that you will get. So really, I think where we're headed to in the future is less about, you know, how many degrees you get and what schools you get those degrees from, but really from how well can you actually perform in the workplace and, and deliver the work. And oh, that's a shift in itself, right? Yes, it's a, it's a real shift. Well, let's talk about the other shifts because we're kind of in a transition time right now. We're getting through this pandemic. We're figuring out whether we can work at home. Is it safe to go back to the office? When the dust settles and we get a vaccine or herd immunity or whatever else, what do you think the lasting changes will be? Well, I think some of the lasting changes is, and we're starting to see some of this already, is that um, companies, both SMBs and the world's largest companies in the Fortune 500s, will start to realize that great ideas are everywhere. You know, and, and the platform model can really, and freelancing is nothing new. It's something that's, you know, has existed in 10, 20, 30 years ago. But platforms really is the place that makes everything easier. And it's, it's a place where they can discover that talent can be available anywhere on demand. And as a result, they, a lot of the frictions around innovation, um, you know, would be removed because, you know, NASA is a great example of, uh, an organization that works with us and they've worked with over 5,000 freelancers across, you know, 127 different countries and uh, 97%. We have actually published a white paper that was um, on Harvard's literature guide of, of crowdsourcing alongside NASA. But we found that about 97% of the solutions they've sourced in our platform are actually implemented. So could you imagine if you have always wanted to be an astronaut and all of a sudden you get to work on a project with NASA? How incredible is that? You know, the difficult question that people ask about this is, okay, you've opened up the world, but does that hurt the people who are closer to these organizations? Does it help hurt people in the U.S. or Canada or Australia where wages tend to be higher and they've had somewhat of an advantage because they're near some of these places that are doing the hiring? Or, you know, does it change something else? I think ultimately it is about choice. And people are more empowered because they have a choice to work on the companies or the, with the companies they want to work with and the locations they want to work with. And at the end of the day, it's actually the choice is up to the worker to decide which um, you know, work I want to bid on and, you know, which location I want to work and what hours I want to do. We've noticed a lot of trends that, you know, the, the labor market is moving towards freelancing. You know, JP Morgan actually came out or Morgan Stanley came out with a report that said, that by 2025, and I think this is actually going to be accelerated given COVID, 
50% of the full-time working population in the U.S. will become freelancers. I actually had the managing director at Amazon AWS here in Australia, which has a pretty high you know, minimum wage. But he said that he wants to become a freelancer on our platform by, by next year. So, you know, it's really a shift towards, you know, from 10 years ago, it might have been just, you know, very basic logo and graphic designs for your mom and pop shop down the street. But we're seeing higher and more sophisticated and complex skill sets on our platform, um, you know, and the skilled experts are choosing to move, uh, you know, online and companies will start to uh, you know, realize that through this model, they can innovate and, and get things done faster. It's interesting times, as you say. We'll see where we are at the end of this, uh, but interesting that the world is opening up for so many people. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Linda. Sarah Tang is Vice President Enterprise at Freelancer.com. about the big pictures regards freelancing during the pandemic, what's it like for someone on the front lines? To get some insight on that, we're joined now by Danny Margulies. Danny's an independent freelancer, writer, entrepreneur, and coach. His works have been featured in major publications, including Forbes, Bloomberg, Business Insider, and others. He's a website called Freelance to Win. He joins us now from Omaha, Nebraska. Hi, Danny. Hey, how's it going? It's going fine for me. Crazy times, though. Unbelievable. Okay, so let's let's talk about the times before they were this crazy. How long have you been a freelancer? What drew you to it? Well, I started about seven years ago. I think it was July 20th of um, 2012. Oh, so almost eight years ago now. And yeah, coming up on eight years. And basically what happened was I was 30, uh, I was 34 years old and I never had like a real career. Like I, I didn't go to college or, or rather I dropped out of college after two weeks I always tell people the parking was really tough. It was New York City. So, uh, but yeah, I, I had no real career. I kind of bounced around from like entry level job to entry level job. And then one day I just got tired of it and I just quit my job. I had no plan. It wasn't a really a particularly good job. I didn't really have a plan. And I went home and I just decided on a lark that I was just going to Google how to make money. I, I did a couple of Google searches, like how to make money writing, how to make money online. And so from there, I, you know, I was expecting to find like scammy stuff. A lot of times you find scammy stuff if you do those kind of searches, um, you know, like work from home scams back then, that kind of thing. But somehow I actually found some online freelancing sites and it seemed really legit. And so I just kind of fell into it in that way. And you've been successful for eight years because, you know, you've been in a lot of major publications, you have a lot of clients. How long did it take to really get going on this? Oh yeah. I mean, so like my first week, you know, I found, I mean, the thing is in the, if it was 20 years ago, it might've been more difficult, but these days, you know, so you have like Upwork and these kind of sites where you can just go and find the jobs, you know, they're literally, the clients are raising their hand and they're saying, Hey, I'm looking for someone and you can apply. So I found a few jobs. I had to look for like entry level jobs that I could do. And pretty much you can find entry level jobs that anyone can do. So like, I found like these uh, short stories that some client wanted. They were very, very short, like two pages and they had a template. So you really, it was really just like almost like copy pasting information, you know, like very, very simple work. And I got paid $20 per story. So my first week I made $340 and, you know, again, doing work that any high school kid could do, you know what I'm saying? Um, so I thought to myself, if I could make $340 with no experience, you know, who knows once I gain experience. So then every kind of like every week or every month I would, learn a new thing. You know, you see a job posted and it's like a, a kind of job you're not used to. And so, you know, you Google it, you learn, you read a book, you take a course. So like it took me 
really, I was paying my bills from right from day one, just with these kind of entry level jobs. And then after about eight months, I was making a very decent living. And then in my second full-time year, I was able to earn over a hundred thousand dollars. So that was like, I was just, you know, it was, it was, it really could be as fast of a process as a person wants. I just went really fast in terms of learning. And so I was very fortunate in that way. Well, that's amazing. Now you're talking about eight years of doing this. Have there been periods that have been worse and periods that have been better or has it been pretty steady for you? It was, it, it was so steady. Um, you know, and people would say like, oh, there's lulls and there's, you know, they call it the feast and famine. And I never found that to me. It was like, if you do good work and it's relatively easy to get clients that did change a little bit here now with this current situation, I was surprised. You know, I was very optimistic going in and I thought, ah, you know, people always say, oh, there's going to be a recession and you know, this and that. And I did find a little lull, uh, but honestly, very small. It took me maybe a little bit more effort to find some clients. And I found a, I found a, uh, quite a few clients during the, even during the pandemic. But, um, you know, I did have a couple of clients, uh, who, who kind of put our work on hold. So that was like, oh, that's interesting. That's never happened before. You know, clients just calling me out of the blue saying, well, you know, until, until we realize what's going on with this virus, we really just need to put our, our work on hold for a little while. And that was like, oh, that was a little jarring. Um, but you know, again, staying positive. Then I said, okay, let me go find some new clients. So I went out to look for some new clients and I found it wasn't quite as easy as it always had been. Uh, so there was a little bit of an adjustment period, but in a way it's kind of good because it forced me to up my game. You know, I worked on my portfolio, I worked on my sales pitch. And so I ended up getting, uh, quite a few good clients, but it just took a little bit more work. But in the long run, I think it's good. So do you think going forward, and we don't really know where this will end, but we are told it's going to be a difficult winter, perhaps, and people will still be cautious even if we come up with a vaccine or therapies. Uh, are you planning differently to get through this? I mean, other than, you know, uh, you know, I'm a firm believer, like businesses always need people like, so the pool might be smaller, but I always want to be one of the top people because the top people, you know, they just always seem to be able to find clients, even when they're maybe quote unquote, it should be hard, uh, quote unquote, but they're, they're sort of able to do it like a client magnet. So I'm always trying to be like that client magnet. So, you know, so again, kind of like upping my game, upping my sales pitch, uh, I even came up with a few new techniques for getting clients and for, um, for getting hired and closing those deals. So I, I think I'm, I'm very, I'm pretty optimistic that those techniques will, uh, be like that little extra edge that I need kind of, even if things don't get you know, better to, um, you know, too soon. But at the same time, I'll tell you, it seems to me like, I feel like it's turning, you know, I, I feel like there were a few weeks there where it was kind of like touch and go. Uh, but now it seems like people are getting, I, I just feel like businesses are getting a little more comfortable and this is just my own experience, you know? Um, so not a scientific, you know, study or whatever, but just my own experience. It seems like people are kind of peeking out and going, okay, we'll start investing money again. Um, but you know, who knows, right? No, that's good to hear. Do you think as a freelancer, you have an edge in that nobody wants to hire full-time right now? You know, that's, I'm so happy you said that because I always said this, right? Like I always tell people this, when the economy is good, people hire freelancers because they're the companies are growing. And when the economy is quote unquote bad, people are hiring freelancers because unfortunate as it is, they're laying off employees. And so, yeah, so I think, I think freelancers are very fortunate in that way of, I, I just can't see freelancing, like freelance work ever just drying up because it's just that too many companies rely on it on the way up and on the way down. 
It's interesting that you're so optimistic because I almost thought you'd say, look, this is difficult. I'm thinking of maybe going back into getting a real job when I can get one because I've heard people say that. Clearly, that's not how you're thinking. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny you should say that too. You're asking a lot of good questions. You bring up a lot of good points. And, you know, the, the thing is I noticed a lot of freelancers get into freelancing for kind of not the best reasons. You know, so if you say like, why are you freelancing? And they'll say, well, because I got laid off and that's what laid off people do. Right. And if you can't find a job, you have to freelance. So a lot of people, they look at it like this kind of trap or this kind of prison or like, you know, this kind of like penalty of some sort, right? Like, well, I can't get a job right now. So of course I got to freelance. But for somebody like me, it was like, I just could not take that like nine to five, like corporate lifestyle. So I just, it, it just did not gel with me. So freelancing to me always seemed like the opposite of a prison. It felt like getting out of prison. So I'm always optimistic about it because I'm, I feel like I'm in it for the right reasons. I want an independent lifestyle. I want to learn new skills. I want to work on challenging projects. I want to go out and get clients. I want to make my own way. But I always tell people, and I'm be honest with people, right? And you know, people, people will say to me like, oh, well, you just have a freelance coaching site. So you just want everyone to get involved in freelancing and you'll just say it's easy and whatever. And I say like, no. I will tell people right up front, it will be hard for you if you're the type of person who really wants to be told what to do, who wants a pre-made structure that, that corporate America can provide, a pre-made structure for you, a pre-made schedule for you. They'll tell you what to do. If that is the type of person that you are, then freelancing will be very hard. But if you're someone who is stifled by you know the traditional uh, uh, corporate work culture, then freelancing will be very easy for you. So I always feel like it's easy for me compared to the alternative. That's the thing. Right now, a lot of people are going to try this out because they did get laid off or they will get laid off in coming months. Even for those people, are there things that you know you could tell them that would make it easier and tips you have? Yeah. And I mean, and, and don't get me wrong, by the way, some of those people will do great. Some of those people will try it out kind of because they're kind of, you know, quote unquote forced to, but they'll find that, oh, you know, I'm, I wish I had found this sooner, right? Um, so some of those people will do great. Um, it does require a bit of a shift in mindset. It's like, I always say, like, if you try to freelance with an employee mindset, it's not going to be great because, you know, for, I'll just give you one, here's, let's just take one example. So you have maybe like a hiring manager at a company, of course, they want to see your resume, right? Now, it's not just your resume, of course, right? There's other things they're going to look for. They're going to look at your cover letter, um, they're going to obviously want to talk to you if they like your resume. So there's a whole process to get hired, but that's a very, that's, that's very unique to corporate culture. Okay. When you get out in the real world and you want to find a client to pay you for a service, most of the time they like, don't care about your resume. They don't even want to see it. You see what I mean? I've never even had a client ask for my resume. They just want to see like, what, what work have you done? So it's like, that's just one, that's one, I'm just trying to give you one concrete example of how the employee mentality could be 180 degrees different from the freelance mentality. So someone who comes into freelancing, trying to get a client the same way they try to get a job, it's going to be very, very difficult. So, you know, but again, that's just one example, but just to give you one concrete thing. No, I get that. Now, in terms of finding clients right now, you said you've come up with some new techniques and new things that you thought of. Can you share any of that with us? Yes, I will share one with you. And then um, I'll share one, one that I'm just in love with. I'm, I call it the FedEx logo technique. And here's what I noticed. You know, a lot of people know this. You may know this. Like if you look at the FedEx logo, you may, you may already know that there's like a hidden arrow in there. You familiar with that? 
Uh, I didn't know that. Okay. Okay. It's, it's a cool little thing. There's a hidden arrow in the FedEx logo. A lot of people know about this, but something occurred to me recently. When I'm showing off an excellent piece of my work, a client may not understand why it's excellent. So if I showed you the FedEx logo and I said, hey, what do you think of this logo? What would you say? Pro- like, and pretend you didn't know that the hidden arrow was there. What would you say? Like, pr- you know, pretty good logo, right? Something like that. Would that be your response? Something like that? Sure. Yeah. And so now, but once I show you the hidden arrow, once I tell you it's there, I say, hey, by the way, I put a hit. Now, I didn't design the FedEx logo, of course, but let's just pretend I did, right? I say, hey, by the way, I, I designed a hidden arrow in there to signify, you know, this, the, 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 the company mission, right? Now it goes from what you think of as a fine logo or a good logo to an amazing logo. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because I illuminated for you what is good about it. So I noticed this, what I used to do, and this kind of works when the economy is good, right? Is I would show clients examples of my work and I would say, hey, these are examples of my work. I can do similar work for you. So, you know, hire me based off the work, right? Those aren't my exact words, of course, but that was the general idea behind the pitch. And what I, one day I'm sitting here, you know, kind of during the pandemic and I'm thinking like, what can I do to up my game? And then I realized I don't just need to show my client the work. I need to tell my, not my client, but the client I'm trying to get, right? So like, I need to tell the client what's great about this work because the client may not notice the hidden arrow. So I, 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 so I learned to sell the work and talk to the clients about the specifics of what makes the work great as opposed to just showing it to them. So that's just one, one example of how I really up my game. And I expect that it's going to be a real game changer. Yeah, that's the thing about being a freelancer is you have to be good at sales. You have to be good at a lot of things, not just the work. And is that, is that something you had to learn? Yeah, you know, um, you do, you kind of just have to learn it. And, and it's, it's, I, you know, I say it like I said it on Twitter this morning, a lot of people resonated with it. It's like, it's 90% people skill, you know? And then, and then a lot of people will say to me, oh, well, what does that mean? You don't have to be good at the work. Like, no, of course you have to be good at the work. Even you have to be probably very good at the work, but you could be the best at the work. And if you don't have people skill, it's not going to go anywhere. So like, what I just figured out, what I just explained to you about my, you know, FedEx logo technique, as I'm calling it, that's, it's really people skill. I mean, it's a little bit of technical skill. You know, you have to be able to talk them through what makes your work good, but it's really just kind of thinking to yourself, if I was on the other side of this transaction, what would I be thinking and what would I be feeling? And you kind of have to work backwards from there. So yeah, you got to get good with people and you could learn some of it from reading. Like you could read people skill books or you could read freelancing books or, stuff like that. And that will give you a head start. But beyond that, you really just kind of got to get in there. And that, by the way, that's a final thing. I don't know if we're running out of time. I'm, I have as much time as you need. But the, the final thing I really want to get across or one important thing to get across is freelancers are comfortable venturing out into the unknown to some degree. You know, like I talked to a client this morning. I'd never talked to them before. Um, you know, some people will say to me, how do you get on the phone with a stranger and just talk about business? And freelancers are just comfortable exploring. So, you know, you're kind of always in uncharted territory to some degree. So we're looking ahead to a year of uncertainty, hopefully not a deep recession, hopefully not a pandemic out of control. We just don't know. What's your feeling when you talk about the next year, the next however many years? I always think to myself, I'm going to do the best job I can. And I always have the faith that things are going to work out. If I'm doing the best job I can, you know, I always say to myself, if I'm useful, if I make myself very useful to small businesses, 
And, you know, it could be, you know, for some people, it could be large businesses. I love working with small businesses. And I say there are 10 million plus small businesses in the U.S. alone. Okay. If 50% of them go out of business, there will be 5 million plus in the U.S. alone. And that's not even counting, of course, Canada and, you know, all these other uh, countries that, that are English speaking that I could communicate with clients, you know, overseas and what have you. And I think to myself, with a pool that size, as long as I'm always useful, how can I miss? Danny, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's been great. Danny Margulies is an independent freelancer. You can find him at freelancetowin.com. To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at the workandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work in the Future podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production.